passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, October the 9th, 2022. I'm joined only by Jesse Collings this week, Chris Gullo. Uh, there is a Buffalo Bills game today. He is a season ticket holder. We can confirm those details. However, he is not attending, not attending the Buffalo Bills game. He's going to some concert in Columbus or something like that. So, uh, We've got Jesse Collings here. He was, he was, he was talking talking a, a bunch of crap about about Gullo as we were coming on air here. But uh, here he is to my immediate east. Hi, Jesse. Higher, higher ups in the company have reported that Chris Gullo higher ups. may be, they believe that Chris Gullo may be in Columbus, Ohio. It has been said. Um, the Bills are playing the Steelers today. Um, I don't know who the Patriots are playing today, but I hope they lose. The Patriots um, are playing the Detroit Lions. But they're starting their third string quarterback, so we'll see what happens. Um, okay. With that, they basically have to win. The, the Patriots basically have to win this game to kind of remain viable in the playoff picture. They, they just really—I think I caught—they had a primetime game last week that they really blew. Is that right? The Am Patriots, right? Yeah. They had a four o'clock game. Um, okay. I guess you can say that they blew it because they were in overtime, and they only needed a field goal to win, and they they got a long punt return, so they got the ball like the 50-yard line. So they really only needed to get like 15 yards to get within field goal range, and they, they couldn't do it. But they, at the same time, they also – Mac Jones, their regular starter, is hurt with an ankle injury, so he didn't play at all. And then their veteran backup quarterback, uh, Brian Hoyer, got a concussion like after the first drive. So they were starting a rookie third-string quarterback for the entire game, and they were playing at Lambeau Field. And they actually did pretty well, all things considered. That's right, it was Green but, Bay. That's right. It was Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they. so so it was, uh, it was one of those things where it was like, it was disappointing that they lost, but at the same time, it was actually really kind of amazing that they were that close in the first place. So um, that's all I can hope for. I don't think the team's going to win the Super Bowl this year. So playing competitively close and, and above expectations is important, I guess. You know, they're they're going to let the Bills win this year, I think. Um, but today on the program, we're going to talk about the extreme, we'll touch on the extreme rules. I, uh, I have not watched extreme rules. I, I have watched the Bray Wyatt thing though. Um, I am on, on my TV off screen here. I, I am playing on mute extreme rules. Uh, Jesse has watched part of it. We're not going to talk about the, the pay-per-view of course, but we'll talk a little, a little bit about the business around it and to, to, to what extent we know of it and the reception uh, particularly the cage match reception. I saw some some drama around around the cage match ratings on Twitter last night. But also we'll talk about John Moxley re- re-signing with AEW. Uh, there's a Tuesday night war coming up in a couple Tuesdays from now. That includes the Vince McMahon documentary, uh, which I was interviewed for, AEW and NXT. Uh, we have WOW ratings, Women of Wrestling, the relaunch and syndication that report just went out for subscribers 
and uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about the, the Tony Khan and Ariel Hawani interview, uh, and we may go over cage match data to entertain the question, who are the greatest performing wrestlers in ring uh, over, over since the 70s, all the way back to the 70s. So I should probably share the slides, which I haven't done yet. Um, so here we go. So let's, let's go to Extreme Rules first which was last night in Philadelphia. Tickets distributed count is... So Russell Ticks has not done a final count yet, but uh, they have put out this latest update, which is from a couple days ago. Oh, there's everybody's... Here we go. Slideshow. Uh, but they did put out a, a report a couple days ago. 13,459 tickets distributed. Uh, Russell Ticks was reporting that. There were sections opened up, uh, including the upper deck, which sold pretty quickly, uh, giving the idea that, that this was in reaction to the White Rabbit thing, the anticipation that Bray Wyatt would return. Um, available tickets were 94, so I would, I would essentially call that a sellout, given that a lot of tickets, as, as, as Russell Ticks has, has done this research for you, I always thought you know, beforehand that like a sellout was, there were literally no tickets left, and it had to be as simple as that. I guess it's a little more complicated because it's, as the events approach, there end up being a few tickets put back on sale because of final finalization of their configuration, apparently, and, and where they're going to put the cameras, what s seats they need to kill, and so forth. Ooh, is about to take out Seamus with the shillelagh. There he goes. Okay. Um, Bray Wyatt did return. This was universally praised. Everyone is universally excited about this, I'm sure. The Fiend is back, or whatever version of Bray Wyatt is back. The, the show is currently... As of as of this morning, let me refresh it right now to see what the cage match rating is. Oh, it's down to so what we've got on the screen right here is seven point eight three. I just refreshed it though, and now it is now down to seven point eight zero. So what often happens? I mean, I imagine what always happens here is that these ratings get lower, or I imagine if it's a really bad pay per view, they probably get a little bit better over time as as the more moderate votes come in later and the the more extreme votes come in first. Uh, so Kate, this is sitting at a, a 7.83, which is better than Worlds Collide, uh, the NXT PLE, uh, is not as good as the Clash of the Castle with an 8.26, but it's what, what's something that's comparable here, I guess. Hell in a Cell with the Cody, uh, Torn, Torn Peck match is, but it'll probably get a little bit lower still. Maybe it'll end up at something like seven and a half, um, and we have the, uh, the, the best match of the night was the good old-fashioned Donnybrook, but also also getting praise is the Finn Balor versus Edge match with a, with a solid eight. If you convert that to stars, that's four stars. Uh, I, I saw, did you, did you catch any of this, Jesse? The, there was a little bit of controversy, and I see even Cage Match acknowledged it on Twitter that uh, there, there are accusations that bots, bots are infecting the, the electorate at CageMatch.net, the inmates. <laughs> Yes, I see. I don't know how like obscure this discussion really is. It's big enough for Cage Match to actually acknowledge yeah. uh, on social I, media. I, I guess it's it's. It, I sh we should probably address it because I I look at Cage Match ratings so much. Brandon, can we at least admit that it's your fault? It could be. I I did ret retweet their tweet last night, and then I and then like there were hostile quote tweets happening reaction to it, so I just unretweeted it because I was like, oh my god, I'm probably contributing to this hysteria. Yeah, so I think like if we're 
cage I think we can both agree, Brandon, that cage match is a really awesome tool for people like you and I and any hardcore wrestling fan. We have a separate topic just based on cage match ratings today. Later. It's full of information. Um, I think it, you know, it's there's So basically the debate is are WWE fans or bots or WWE paid employees or whoever we're talking about, are they disingenuously overrating WWE shows to make the, sh- the, the cage match rating go up for the events to make the match ratings go up for matches um, and cage match put out a tweet yesterday or l- last night, early this morning, that was basically like, no one is astroturfing these accounts. If you feel passionately about a match, go in and rate it. Um, and so that's kind of their takeaway from it. I mean, it's kind of funny to talk about. I've made some jokes about it, but ultimately when it comes to cage match ratings, all of them come on a scale relative to the promotion that they're in for the most part. So you can only, it's only really a, it's a useful tool. It's not a useful tool to like cross compare, like what are WWE events getting rated as and what are AEW events getting rated as or new Japan pro wrestling or stardom or whatever. Cause different theoretically different, the, the individual fans of those promotions are rating those shows and so it's a decent barometer. So each promotion kind of has its own scale for how you should look at things. For some promotions, getting a, a, an event rating over eight can be seen as really, really outstandingly good. Or if you get it right around eight, it can be seen as kind of bad or mediocre. It all depends on kind of what the standard has been established. I think it's interesting you kind of – with the data that's in front of us here kind of showing the last year's worth of WWE pay-per-views, it seems like Extreme Rules is um, – on the about uh, like on the higher end of the average, it seems pretty closely in line. Not that much different than uh, Clash at the Castle, SummerSlam, Hell in a Cell, uh, Backlash. It, it seems like it's pretty much on par with what WWE's been doing this year, and that seems prop. Just going from the feedback online, that seems kind of what that seems accurate to me, at least from what I've seen people talk about. It seems like people were generally positive about the show but didn't think it was a perfect show by any means um so it's it doesn't jump out to me as anything particularly suspicious i think that perhaps more people are rating these events but and i I would look at this number too it's got 161 votes right now and that's not much higher than than usual and i think more more people are i mean I i can definitely tell you this by looking at their data that more people are voting on cage match over time. So compared to a year ago or two years ago, there's more votes generally for any given match or event. It's got 161 votes, which is not that much more than, I'm sure more will still collect in. Maybe you'll have something over 200 when it's all done, but it wouldn't be more, it wouldn't be out of the realm of what's normal for a W pay-per-view. No, it seems like, um, seems like the same. I know like with the raw and SmackDown reviews, like, we also have to understand we're talking about a really small number of like ratings that ultimately are being factored in here. I mean, we're talking about under 300 ratings for the most part, um, or right around 300 ratings for some of the bigger pay-per-views for Raw and SmackDown. We're talking somewhere between like 50 and 75 ratings. It's not like there are thousands of ratings and someone has created a, a bot army to, to, for, to just have thousands of accounts 
give tens to WWE stuff and one to AEW stuff or whatever yeah. your conspiracy theory is about like if it. This was at a at thousand or even like four hundred right now. That would be definitely yeah. suspicious, right? <laughs> So we're not talking – so it's it's one of those things where it's also like – and again, the sample size is so small. What does it really mean? And Much like how Dave Meltzer says that his star ratings are like the least important thing that he does but are the most talked about. On Cage Match, kind of the ratings for events and, and matches are kind of the least important thing that's on Cage Match in a lot of ways. Uh, yet it gets the most attention. I think definitely there are probably more – pro WWE people on cage match now than there were like a few years ago, just because that's kind of the nature of how um, these kind of databases on the internet operate, which is cage match is very big for niche wrestling fans and hardcore wrestling fans and fans wanting to, I mean, I first started using it because I was reading results from the Japanese shows because it was the best place to get, you know, what happened on this all Japan show this morning. Um, but I think over time, as it becomes more prominent, more casual fans, more fans that are kind of maybe only watching WWE, don't really have an interest in other types of wrestling, are going to come into Cage Match and then they're going to rate, um, you know, the product that they're watching to the scale that they're comfortable of saying it. And for some people, that's going to be giving Extreme Rules a 10. And some people, it's going to be giving Edge versus Finn Balor a 10 on their match rating. Um and again, it's all relative to the promotion that it's in. I wouldn't, I think it's really fruitless to kind of compare like, you know, extreme rules to all out just because I think that the standards for in scale for what they're kind of created, at least on their cage match profiles of those respective promotions is very different and diff- different people are voting on them. I guess I, I think that w- there's a lot of people who are probably voting for more than one company right and i oh for sure yeah i mean for sure there's definitely you can i mean this is easy you can click on people's profiles and see and you can what, what they're rating yourself um no, but I, but I, I guess I, I think even though this is not thousands and thousands and even though there's um it, it takes a certain kind uh, uh, it takes a fan with a certain amount of of hardcoreness about them to create an account on cage match and go in there and actually rate a match. I think there's, I think a certain amount of consensus washes out in, in at least the number of votes that we have, which is like, you know, say over, over a hundred, I think we get a sense of like what's happening. And if nothing else over time, uh, if, when we look at like a table like this, that, that shows all the different pay-per-views, at least in, in the last year, Within one one company, we do see. I mean, from from this point forward, and the, the line that I'm drawing here underneath the SummerSlam is the Triple H era forward, and back here is the the Vince era. And we do have four pay per views, at least main roster pay per views, that are all over a seven compared to some of these back here. Uh, there's that's there's only three of them, but we'll see what happens as more pay per views happen. But I think it tells you something about the change over time, even if you want to discount you know, cynically that well these are all just a bunch of iwc smart marks I mean, their their opinions don't matter but i think seeing their opinions change improve or disimprove uh seeing their their sentiment improve or disimprove over time is is definitely meaningful not to say that we even know that these are the same people voting from from event to event they don't have to be um but there's it's a similar audience i would think um 
grapple is you, I, I tried to look at grapple last night grapple has still not come back up is that right i don't know i don't, don't know really about use that. grapple i have a grapple account and i know that it's had some I, but i kind of stopped using it because i didn't find it particularly user-friendly sorry um and i've heard that it's had issues it's been down i think it's back up but again i'm not a grapple user really um yes um but that's another and grapple is grapple is probably at this point more hardcore based than than cage match so tim b asked, get a- asks sorry tim, tim b asked if uh i have followed aew metrics i have not i don't think i have um do you know about that jesse um, I have not. Um, it's perhaps I have seen their content before. Now I'm going to search up. Timby also asks, who's going to read the Super Chats? I am. I, I, I'm doing two things at once here today. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to put in a Super Chat, uh, feel free. We'll, we'll handle it. Maybe in the midst of the, of the topic, if the question is related to the topic. If not, we'll take your question at the end. So feel free to do a Super Chat if you wish. Um, Anything to add to that before we we keep going here? Um, just like I think one of the things is is interesting is uh, on, on that chart specifically that you have up, uh, and something to be notable notable with Cage Match is if there particularly if there is something that has a very controversial or negative, whether it's a wrestling talent or an event, there will be a lot of people that will come in and just give it a zero for reasons beyond the like. Uh, quality in a vacuum of such a thing. I think you can look at like the elimination chamber event and see that it has a remarkably low rating on cage match. And if I'm sure if you were to click on that, you would see people in the zeros talking about blood money and Saudi Arabia and all of those things. And that's, that's true for kind of anyone or any event that has controversy uh, on uh, around them. And we should add that my understanding is that cage match does put a lot of hurdles in the way of, trying to prevent bad faith voting uh you have to oh yeah counts. you yeah. can um i actually you, you know it's funny brandon if you have an especially high or especially low rating i think yeah well you know brandon i um you don't you have to leave a comment for a zero you can vote 10 all you want hmm. and if you actually go into the comments you'll see i think a lot you won't see a lot of the 10 comment uh comments you'll see a lot more i think nuance in the comment section it was a um i actually um i have a cage match account uh, and I, I, I kind of, I used to rate stuff on it, but then I stopped just because I didn't, like I said, I don't really value the ratings that much. I didn't really feel like I wanted to, to kind of feel like I had to rate everything I saw and things like that. Um, I have a spreadsheet, like a, like a sane person, my match ratings on it. Um, but I did reactivate my account um, to, so I could participate back in the voting because I feel like it's going to, it's been, uh, I've been more thinking about it more recently. Uh, so I activated my account and you have to, when I reactivated it, they told me I had a, I could leave a comment, but I wouldn't be able to leave a rating for seven days. So I don't know if they're going to vet my account or things like that, but they, they, and they, they cracked down a few years ago on that. Um, so you, I remember you, so what you're saying is you can't create an account and then rate something on the same day that you create the account. That's my understanding. It's weird. Cause I didn't create my account. I reactivated it. Um, but it didn't have any of my match ratings data saved i don't know it could have been it was years ago that i stopped it was probably like 10 years ago so it wouldn't have been uh it's probably pretty older and they might have gone through some software updates so my account didn't carry over or whatever but but so the if you create an account if you create an account today you could not rate anything you could leave a you have to leave a comment and then seven days later they will you'll be able to rate stuff that that's my impression well i can give you an update next week to see if that's true 
So you can create a bot army, but you have to be be long term determined to create a bot army. You know what? If if people are really concerned about like WWE creating a bot army to, to swing cage match ratings, like they don't have to. They don't have to do that though. Their fans are loyal enough to do that on their own. There there does not need to be a bot army. Okay. Um where's the fiend? There he is. Uh I think something interesting to look forward to is that what what does the debut, or I guess the return, that's not the debut, the return of Bray Wyatt to WWE mean for TV ratings. Two weeks ago, SmackDown had 2.5 million viewers, which is much higher than usual. It's been back to normal. The Fast Affiliate for Friday uh, looks like another fairly normal rating for SmackDown, higher than last week, probably about 2.2 million viewers. We'll get the final on Monday, despite the holiday. Um, does SmackDown do a strong rating? I expect Bray Wyatt to be on SmackDown, but I have no idea. Maybe he'll be on Raw. Regardless of whether he's on Raw or SmackDown, I could see the Raw rating maybe being up too. Uh, we'll see. I think something big and that is exciting to at least some people, I think that it would the, the, the degree to which it is exciting to some people is going to help their ratings. I think the, there's a lesson from the Vince Scandal news in that. That helped ratings, despite that being about as bad as a story can be <laughs> for for WWE's uh, public relations. So if this is a big deal, maybe it'll be reflected in Raw ratings. Maybe it'll be reflected in SmackDown ratings. Uh, maybe WWE will advertise something to make it clear that he's going to be on Raw or SmackDown. Uh, so that's that's something definitely to watch for, I think. I think that the SmackDown doing that huge number two weeks ago when they kind of, I guess, really teased that he was going to be there and it ended up kind of being uh, just a a hint for, for people to keep tuning in. Um, that gives me some evidence to suggest that at least initially viewership is going to be high. I'm sure like the YouTube views for his return on um, social media. Uh, I saw like a lot of like stuff already flying, you know, as far as those metrics go, how many likes, how many retweets, like WWE's account of Bray Wyatt's re-debut has happened, has taken, uh, those are way, those are off the chart. Um, so in that sense, I can see uh, viewership really moving up, at least initially. I mean, the question, I think, for Wyatt, both as a business mover and just as a performer, is what kind of viability does he have over the long term? Because his characters have never been particularly good fits within the vulnerable world of professional wrestling. And how much of his hype will, from his debut or his re-debut, into the company, how will that last? Who's he going to feud with? Will that feud be like really big? Um, I'm sure his merchandise sales will be good. They were always good when he was, you know, the fiends and everything like that. Um, I'm sure the engagement on social media will be high, but I do think we kind of have no idea over the long term if this is going to be like a really, if he's going to remain a really big drawing act and ratings are going to be sustained for months as people get really intrigued with what he's doing. Or will this kind of be like, oh, we're excited for this guy to return and then slowly, you know, will fizzle out. Um, we've seen that a lot with with WWE um, and, and to a lesser extent, AEW, where people might debut or they might return and that will do a big rating and they'll pop really big for them when they come back. But after a few weeks, it's kind of whether they're slotted back into just being, you know, kind of a, a just a, a kind of regular performer, the kind of luster and allure uh wears I, off I, I think that's just normal like what when you could say the same thing about cm punk and, and through august 2022 and, and september 2022 you had cm punk debut in august 
Brian Danielson joined in September, and there is this big increase in viewership in in August and September, and then it went back. It, it really went down in October, and I think people talked about the West Coast live feed, and, and I think that had very little to do with it because we looked at at market. Uh, we looked at ratings across major markets and, and the West coast was not, was not, uh, affecting the rating so much that it would, that would really change. Um, I think that that's, especially in the, in this era where younger viewers just only tune in, they are, they are disproportionately likely to, to tune in when there's something really big happening and then to not tune in for more normal average shows i think that's just sort of normal and expected to to me anyway and i think it's well to to, to craft a narrative that like well yep they people checked it out and they did they they saw that it sucked so they're not coming back and and that's always just affirming what that person favors as a personal preference well brandon we have a generation of wrestling fans who grew up um where for 10 years the most cool for the most part the most memorable impactful moments were debuts or returns that's how ww booked a lot of like 2005 to 2020 mm-hmm. and so a lot of those people grew up being conditioned to pop really big and get really excited when someone would come out at the royal rumble or you know an nxt name would get called up to the main roster as a surprise um and then they would be their their due to ww's inconsistent booking and their their kind of vince's limited view on who can be a star eventually they'd be kind of phased down to being just kind of a regular performer and i think that has taken hold on people where people we do see like the biggest pops and the biggest moments and often the biggest ratings do come for debuts um and things like that instead of like long-term builds setting up for a huge match um is that is that because a generation of fans have been conditioned to believe to kind of not consume wrestling that way, the way it traditionally was consumed, which is build, 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 blow off big match that does huge business or someone pops up and makes news and grabs a headline and people talk about it on social media. And then slowly they're kind of fizzled out because they're not prioritized from a booking perspective. I think like with CM Punk, I mean, his return to wrestling is so was so gigantic um, that I think you can't, it's, it's really impossible for, for them to like follow that up with, with ratings at the same level. Um, and after he has wrestled for a year, yeah, he's not going to have as big of an impact on business as he did for the, the intrigue of his first match or his first pay-per-view match or his first title match. I think that's all natural. Um, but at the same time, we've also seen AEW, like people, even people like Paul White pop a big rating for their like debut on AEW dynamite. Um, I'm not sure, you know, so it kind of goes, it, it's both a, a problem. I think AEW and WWE both have in this extent that people get really interested in debuts and returns and then they kind of lose that interest just kind of naturally. Is that unavoidable or is that a condition of how WWE has presented its product over the last decade? I think, I think that you're, you're talking about content. I think it, it has probably more to do with just the nature of what these media are and the nature of the way that people of younger or older ages consume media. Um, and, and I think wrestling is especially peculiar in that. And if you're a, if you're a TV executive, who's going to negotiate a wrestling contract, cover your ears. But I think there's, yes, wrestling has 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 value because it's live content, but it's also in some ways it behaves as scripted content. That's why you'll see 
wrestling will be consumed via DVR more than live sports will be by percentage. Um, but people still want to watch it live. That it still has a lot of value that way. It's about, I don't know, 80% consumed live, let's say 20% consumed through DVR. Um, but I think, and I would imagine that when, well, we know that when people are watching traditional TV, they tend to be older and people who are watching, uh, you know, watching stuff through streaming or through social media tend to be younger. We're getting some data here about the Amazon NFL games and how those are skewing younger than when those, you know, same Thursday night games, not exactly the same Thursday night, but when Thursday night games were aired last year, those audiences were older by, I think it's something like eight years. Um, and I, I just think what happens is people are following this to some degree consistently, but that when something really big is happening, the younger viewers will tune in and watch it live, but they're harder to win over in that way. So when there's something not as big, they'll still follow it and engage with it somehow, but probably not as much through the traditional means, that is through, tr through traditional TV. And I think that's just, the content is part of that story, but I think a bigger part of the story is just the media, that is traditional TV and the way people consume it, the way older people tend to consume it, the way younger people tend to not consume traditional TV. Um, and I think that has a bigger, a, a pretty big effect. But I think there's there's validity to what you're saying too about just what, what wrestling fans have been conditioned to to believe about, to expect about how wrestling is going to be, uh, be produced. Um, what did you think about the debut or the return in and of itself. I thought it was interesting that they didn't really um, tell us anything. He didn't come out and like announce a feud with anybody. Um, he didn't he really didn't, introduce it was, it was at the very end of the pay-per-view. It yeah. was, they, they did the, the Paul Levesque trademark, the, the copyright screen. And then, then I did, did it after that still. And Michael Cole said, are we still on the air? He didn't know. He wasn't sure he had a check. Yeah. Um, but so they, they have him come back, but they didn't really tease anything, I guess, on anybody. he didn't attack anybody. Yeah. And he didn't really debut a new character, which I was really surprised by. I thought we would get something like wholly original for his return. And it seemed like at least from what we can tell from last night is they're going to kind of play off some of his older personas. He's, he's got a new mask. Of... Apparently he's got a new mask. He's, that they'll, they'll sell. Yeah. He's, he's going to be a mix of like some, maybe some of the, you know, partly like kind of like the fiend partly like kind of like the cult bray wyatt um it, it i like i'll be interested to see like what the is it better that they didn't really reveal anything with him now people will be intrigued and want to tune in on raw and smackdown would it have been better to you know have him attack somebody and start off with like kind of a feud um i thought it was interesting that they could basically all they did at extreme rules was confirm that he is in fact back in the company which is something that i think most people had figured out already but is um it'll be like i'm, I'm interested in seeing like how that plays out as far as the immediate interest with is it better off kind of keeping things more vague of what he's going to do or would it be better off to kind of give a, a more clear direction on what, what we what his next program is um if he's going to have one he could just be doing spooky stuff for a long time and not really you know have wrestling a match for months yeah i guess like the the reception seems strong I mean, I, I expect it to do... It's the I, greatest... It was the biggest pop in the history of wrestling, Brandon, didn't you see? 
I didn't see that. That's, that's been me- measured in decibels. Um, I think the reception is strong. This is not for me. I'm not I'm not a horror movie fan. Maybe yes, if, part, of, if part of it. This this the reception was really good though. Like people, here's a big thing: the fans who were watching Extreme Rules, hoping to see Bray Wyatt, and it was heavily teased that he was going to be at Extreme Rules. Mm-hmm. They saw him, and they seemed very very positive towards how he was presented and they're very excited about it. And that's important. It's important that WWE goes off the air with a pay-per-view with a lot of their core fans feeling like they saw something awesome. That's been a problem for them for a while under, under Vince. So I think it's very important that even though I don't think it's, it's not for you, Brandon, it's certainly not for me. I think Bray's my least favorite wrestler ever. Um, but for the hardcore WWE fans, it is important that you kind of satisfy them. Giant Baba would never book this. Yeah. I did see something funny where uh, I guess like uh, Daniel Cormier in the uh, fight pit match, he kept like fixing his pants for some reason. Like, I don't know if he's where it was wearing like his, his shorts or whatever he was wearing were like ill fitting or he had to keep adjusting them. But I did see that. And I saw someone saying that he was just attribute tri- attributing uh, to Misaharu Musawa. <laughs> so we, we can see on the, this, I just grabbed the screenshot a minute ago. Uh, this has almost got this one clip here of his return. Bray Wyatt's return has got almost a million views. So it'll probably have over a million views soon. And then there's, they did another clip somehow. I guess they broke this up into two segments that are both about a minute and a half. And then another one's got over a half a million already. Um, that's pretty high. I mean, any, anything that's that's hitting a million is, is on the high end for WWE. Uh, most TV clips are, you know, in the, in the mid hundreds of thousands. So that's that's pretty high, and this is only nine hours out. Um, so I imagine this will this will be end up being well over a million within a couple of days. Um, what else we got to do here? Again, if you want to put a super chat in, we'll read it at the end. Um, moving on to John Moxley on Friday night. I think I think this was announced while SmackDown was on the air. So before Rampage was on the air, John Moxley has signed a new five year deal with AEW. The headline says he's expanding roles into mentorship. And coaching, um, PW Insider is reporting that this deal was made sometime around All Out in early September. Um, there's an interesting line in here that I'm going to focus on in this press release that AEW sent out on Friday night, where it says, let's see, this ensures that one of professional wrestling's top stars will remain in AEW through 2027, while expanding his responsibilities to include mentoring and coaching talent. Moving forward, Moxley will work exclusively for AEW and its international partners, including New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, so that that le- led me to wonder, and I think a lot of other people to wonder, does that mean John Moxley's no longer going to work independent wrestling dates, including for GCW? Um, he did work GCW last night, where he lost the GCW title to Nick Gage, um, and he is the AEW champion. So I think that, that, that makes Nick Gage the linear AEW champion, too, you could say. Um, yeah, I, interim. Interim. Oh no, Moxley's the real champion. No, he's not the interim yeah, anymore. He's, he's, he's the real champion. Um, I I think. Well, the, there was. Uh, I don't understand the the uh, the Stokely Hathaway group. What's the name of the Stokely Hathaway group? Oh boy, they're not the, the firm. firm. The, firm. the firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah the firm. firm. I, I understand that they made a surprise appearance on GCW last night. So yes. maybe there's going to continue to be some appearance of of AW talent on GCW going forward. Um, it, it 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 leaves one to wonder if you know you can consider the circumstances under which 
Moxley became AEW champion. He became AEW champion after CM Punk uh, is is injured and suspended. So he was not originally planned to be AEW champion at this time. Uh, he's been GCW champion for for a long time, right? Do you happen to know? I think it's something like a year, something like that. He's been GCW champion for, for a fairly long time. Uh, he's going to have to drop the title sometime. I, I imagine that he was... He agreed to drop the title on this show before he knew he was going to be AW champion, before all the punk stuff went down. Uh, and now he's he had to become the champion uh, because of that situation. And he's already agreed to drop the title here, uh, you know, then take a loss. AW wrestlers on the Indies seldom ever take losses. Uh, that seems to be a policy. Uh, so the night before this GCW pay-per-view, where John Mox is going to take a loss... AW puts out this pay-per-view, uh, not, not, not absolutely confirming and then spoiling their pay-per-view, but, but shedding a lot of, uh, doubt on, on, I think the, the idea that, uh, Moxley was going to win. Uh, so any, any thoughts on that? I do have one other thing to add. Well, but yeah, but any thoughts on that? Um, on the specifics to GCW or just Moxley's and, 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 and whatever, or in, in the Indies and whether he's going to work the Indies or whatever. Yeah, I mean, we've seen we've seen guys do like kind of what Moxley has done. They leave WWE um, and they work like a lot of indies. And then after a year or two, they kind of say, I, you know what, I, I'm, I'm done working indies. I'm, I'm going to work either just with AEW. I'm going to work just with Ring of Honor. We saw, I think, Cody did something very similar. I think the Young Bucks did something before they were kind of before AEW even existed where they were working a lot of indies and they were basically like, you know what, we're just working ring of honor in new Japan and, and we'll do a little PWG on the side, but that's it. Um, so it's not, it's not like strange for Moxley to, to kind of now be kind of punting on, on doing indies, even though it seems like something that he really liked. Um, and obviously for GCW, I imagine he has to be GCW's biggest drawing card just as an individual star. Um, but you know, it's, it's, I think it's, there's two ways to look at this, I guess. Is it did Moxley independently just be like, um, I know I'm, I don't want to do the schedule of Indies. AEW is enough for me. I might be going to Japan to work New Japan more frequently now. Um, maybe I'll go down to Mexico. Uh, but he maybe he was just like, I, I'm done kind of grinding away on the Indies. It's I've got it out of my system. I don't need the money. I don't need the the, the fame that comes with it. So that's or is this Tony Khan saying? We don't want our guys and our specifically our top stars like John Moxley working independent dates and working for GCW. We only want them working either for us or our independent partners. Uh, yeah. from, for, I, you I know, think there's – I get the impression that there's no love lost between AEW and GCW con- for a lot of different reasons. Well, Pro- probably yeah, in part I mean, because of the, the kind of the deathmatch content that they do. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and there have been some incidents of AEW talent in GCW uh, rings that I don't think have uh, been positive for AEW in a lot of ways. But um, I well, and the other thing is that I think most people would agree that like some of the younger talent in AEW should be out there working independence, and a lot of them do do that. You'll see talent like Dante Martin, um, you know, working on the independence regularly, and, and because it's necessary in a lot of ways for talent to improve, to be working regularly. Um, but for someone like Moxley, you're really big stars. Is it worth, and he's someone that who's like, if Moxley 
something happens to Moxley in an indie show, if Moxley is involved in something, if there's something crazy that happens on an indie show that Moxley isn't even involved in, but if he's on the card, all of these things come into play. Um, and AEW's in a position, as Chris Jericho eloquently talked about during the All Out Presser, they're on the verge of negotiating a huge television contract. And there's a certain level of professionalism you want presented as a product. And if Moxley's going to be the face of AEW, which he really is, or he's certainly one of the two or three most popular individual stars on that show, he has that you probably want to exercise more control over how he presents himself in wrestling and is working with a promotion like GCW, who in their own way have done an amazing job at promotion and, and getting people interested in their product. But is that something that you want associated with your product when you're negotiating a television deal that might be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I noticed about this press release, which is, is I guess is obvious that he's, he's now becoming a mentor and a coach. Um, I would guess that this makes him an employee. I would guess that he was not an employee before and that, that this does give him a dual status as an independent contractor, as a performer, as a wrestler, and also as an employee now as a mentor or coach. I think there, I mean, Jericho has been open about the fact that he has a dual contract. He is an employee as well as an independent contractor. Obviously the EVPs are, that is Kenny Omega and Young Bucks. Um, as we've, we've touched on, I speculate that CM Punk is an employee as well as an independent contractor for AEW. I think that's what's in part complicating this investigation that we've heard no update on as far as how it's going to be resolved. Um, so yeah, I, and and we've got uh, reports from was it Fightful reports that according to WWE they believe that Renee Young is on her way to AEW. So that seems like the the timing here is lining up with him getting a contract and his wife Renee Young, that is Renee Paquette, uh, getting some sort of role in in AEW. Yeah, I mean it's also I think I'm interested in like the mentorship mentorship and coaching role. Is it really something that's going to like be different than what he was doing before? Is it going to occupy more of his time? And maybe that's why he's not working independence as much. Um, or is it more of a formalization of something that has been happening, happening informally backstage. And it is also kind of a PR move by AEW um, who have been, you know, all over the news for their people getting in fights backstage and all of the turmoil that's going on back there. It's a positive PR step to, take one of your biggest stars and someone that kind of has the universal respect for, from people and saying, oh, he's now going to be kind of like a backstage coach. And theoretically, people should look at that and be like, oh, that's a, a positive step that John Moxley is going to have a bigger presence backstage because people generally respect him. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, not this coming Tuesday, but the Tuesday after that, there's going to be Major League Baseball playoffs on TBS on Wednesday. That's going to push AW Dynamite to Tuesday. That's in Cincinnati where that John Moxley and Adam Page title match is going to happen. So we're going to have a return to, well, I guess not not the Wednesday Night Wars, but a, but a one-night occasion. I, mean, I wonder if this will happen again later in the month for more baseball playoffs. I, I don't know if it will, but uh, we're going to have NXT versus AEW on Tuesday night running head-to-head from 8 to 10, like old times. And also, according to uh, The Observer, according to The Wrestling Observer, Vice is going to premiere the Vince McMahon documentary, Nine Lives, on, in the same time slot. A two-hour documentary going head-to-head with NXT, going head-to-head with AEW Dynamite. Um, I was interviewed in New York City in late August for this, this, this documentary. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the, what the product is like. Um, 
I imagine, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see what, what the ratings actually are, uh, assuming all three of those shows, I'm, I'm, it's, it's certain that, that NXT and AEW are going to be on Tuesday. Um, but Tuesday is not Dynamite's regular night, you know, in the Wednesday Night War era. And, and, and throughout, just if you just compare their ratings today, uh, Dynamite is doing about a million viewers and NXT is doing about six or 700,000 viewers. So Dynamite is doing much better viewership, much higher viewership than NXT is. Uh, however, it's the not normal night for Dynamite. So Dynamite presumably is going to be disadvantaged. I think it's a big question whether, you know, who's going to have the higher viewership on that night. Um, just thinking about also, it. Also, this, yeah. this is Tuesday, October 18th, right? Yes. So also happening that night is on TNT is the NBA season debuts hmm. with they have um let's see here the 76ers versus the celtics and then the lakers versus the warriors so that's going to be a very competitive tv night just in general because that's going to be probably a pretty stiff sports competition the likes of which they hadn't really seen on tuesday night in a while that's also a factor but uh, I guess we can go over the, the, the stats in, in the Wednesday Night War, which ran from October 2019 to April 2021. Dynamite won 63 out of, what is this, 75? There were 75 weeks where they actually went head-to-head because there's a few preemptions in there. But 75 weeks were, where NXT and Dynamite went head-to-head on Wednesday night. Dynamite won in total viewership 63 out of the 75 times in total viewership. Dynamite won all but one night out of the 75, 74 out of the 75 in the demo. Um, I think that that one occasion where NXT did win in the demo was, was one of those ill-fated December 2019 episodes uh, where, where, where the right ratings competition was more contentious. Uh, I, I, I haven't like thought about a guess or a prediction, but who, like, who do you think has the, the higher viewership, Dynamite or NXT? Viewership? Sure, let's go total viewership first. I think the demo will be more easy for Dynamite to win because just yeah. their, their, their skew is I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think a lot of people that watch on Wednesday night will watch on Tuesday night as long as it's heavily promoted. Um, and they, they are putting a big match on that show, John Moxley versus Hangman Page, which if you look at AEW's current roster, John Moxley versus Hangman Page for the world title is one of the biggest matches that they can put on. Um but obviously, it's NXT's night. Um, WWE's audience in general, um, and I think in particular NXT, has a pretty strong loyalty to. I think just having just watching every week doesn't matter. Television competition doesn't matter. What else is happening? I think they're going to get their six hundred thousand viewers, six hundred fifty thousand viewers, and. Like point. they're definitely all going to do lower than usual. Dynamite's going to do lower than usual because it's going head to head with NXT, and because it's going I mean, lower I don't, definitely it's, it's not on Wednesday. Def- NXT is going to do lower even, because it's not going against because it's going against Dynamite. I, I don't know about that, Brandon. I think could see NXT doing the same or even better. Like I think that that fan base. I don't know what the crossover is between people watching NXT every week and then watching Dynamite, and then they're going to some of those. How many of those people are going to choose um, watch, to watch Dynamite instead of NXT? Um, I, I think maybe you know those people, more people will join in and say, "Oh, this is a big night. Tuesday Night War is coming back. We're going to watch NXT. You know, make make a point to watch NXT." Um, I, I wouldn't be super certain that NXT is going to do a lower number than they normally do. Dynamite, I would be pretty confident they're going to be. Um, 
So I, I would say I'd probably say I, I if you were to put a gun to my head, I would say NXT wins total viewership. Dynamite wins eighteen to forty nine. I'd be shocked if 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 Dynamite doesn't win eighteen forty nine. I mean they're usually like uh, well more than double uh, NXT's eighteen to forty nine. Yeah, in in September, Dynamite averaged four hundred and seventy four thousand viewers, and. NXT averaged 200. So that's, yeah. And that's an 1849. Correct. Yeah. So they more than doubled. Dynamite more than doubles in the demo what NXT does. So, yeah, I, I, I agree that there's a good chance that Dynamite will beat NXT in the demo. It's questionable whether they'll beat NXT in total viewership. Um, Who do you think is more likely to watch this Vince documentary? NXT fans or Dynamite me. fans? <laughs> um,. If it if it makes a big enough difference to kind of dent the ratings, it's interesting because okay. it's about it's about Vince McMahon. So theoretically, the big WWE fans would be the people more likely to tune in. But because of the context of it, it may be more interesting to AEW fans. I don't know. And I think just the the, the the awareness of it is going to be more hardcore, and I think more hardcore people are t- more more likely to be more engaged with AEW. I don't think it's going to have a huge dent. I mean, what, what the territory series is doing like a hundred thousand, just did a hundred thousand for the for the first episode, um, mm-hmm. and Vice is in. I don't know. Do we? What, what, what's next? Yeah, if we just jump real quick here, we'll talk about WoW in a second. But if you look at the homes, Vice is in. This is as of like last year, so I imagine it's very similar to, to what it is today. Vice was in 55 million homes, so that's there's about 80 million homes in the 80 million cable homes in the U.S. There's about 120 million straight up homes in in the U.S. So Vice is in less than half the homes in the U.S., but a little bit more than half half the cable homes. So the coverage is a little bit low. It's not as much coverage as TNT, TUS, or USA Network have, or even FS1, um, and it's just a lower profile network. Uh, despite having higher coverage than access, right? So I, I, I don't know, and I don't know what kind of promotion that that Vince documentary is going to have. They haven't even publicly publicly confirmed that that is the air date for it. So I don't know what kind of marketing campaign they have, if any, to promote it. I'm sure it'll. I'm sure the Vince documentary will air a hundred times on Vice throughout like the next year. If you if you look at what they're doing with Dark Side of the Ring, there's practically Dark Side of the Ring marathons happening, uh, you know, before and after the territory series. Um, I don't think it's going to have a huge effect. I think it'll be, we won't, the rating will come out. We'll have, we'll still have no idea, but I don't think it's going to have a huge effect unless it does this unexpectedly high number. And, and then I think you can say with some confidence that, yeah, this, this number would have been higher if not for the Vince documentary, if it does like 300,000 viewers or something, which I don't expect it to do. Um, what, what have the, some of the most viewed dark side of the ring episodes done? I can quickly look that up because I have the, the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet open, which you can get access to at patreon.com slash The most viewed Dark Side of the Ring episode was the Chris Benoit episode that did 320,000 viewers. That was back on, in March 2020. So as, as, we, as we go further into the past, there's less, there's more engagement, I would say, with linear TV as, as competition gets weaker, as cable homes are larger, um, as there are, there are more older people who are in their homes watching traditional tv um in toward towards the end the last season of dark side of the ring they were all doing in the range of a hundred thousand viewers the last one two three four five 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 yeah the last five episodes all did between a hundred thousand hundred nine thousand and hundred fifty four thousand the canyon episode did do two hundred fourteen thousand this is all a year ago now this post wrestling podcast is brought to you by nerd wallet smart money podcast 
Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Ready to talk about WoW? Sure. Have, have you, I've, I've never not seen, seen I've, I've not seen any WoW. I, I've I never did, seen I, an episode of it, so I can't I did make an tell effort, you anything so about WoW, it. WoW relaunched in syndication. Uh, it's on broadcast networks across the country. I believe it's airing on the weekends in most markets. Um, I did make an yeah. effort to figure out where I could watch it here in Buffalo. Could not figure it out. Uh, I did spend a couple yeah. minutes can, at least trying to figure it out. Can you kind of describe where I guess I can, like, what does that mean? Syndication on broadcast networks. What Basically what that means is that somewhere, I guess not in Buffalo, but somewhere in your television market, if you're in the United States, WOW is airing at some time on one of your it is. It is airing, but it's airing 100% of the country. I just couldn't figure out okay. when and where. Right. So, and it could be very late at night. It could be very early in the morning. It could be in the middle of the day, but it could be in, because it's a syndicated network show, I guess it'd be similar to like Jeopardy or um, Jerry Springer or some of these other like prominent. Or Ring of Honor back when it was. Ring of Honor was syndicated. Yes. Um, so like that's what that means. They're not on network television. They're not like airing in prime time on on ABC or Fox, but they will be on probably your local ABC, Fox, CBS, NBC network. I would imagine like a lot of the networks that there are mine. Well, it's it's a I don't, I don't know. Now I'm I'm talking about stuff I don't know. It's 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 being distributed by CBS Media Ventures. So maybe it's ending up in a lot of maybe CBS affiliates, but but maybe. Let like me see if I can find out. I haven't I haven't tried this, but if you want to make a point, I can see if I can find out where Wow is airing in my. Right, uh, go, go, go ahead, and I'll talk about what this did for viewership. So we have, I've got this on a delayed basis. So this is this is we are now how many weeks in since um, the first episode aired on September eighteenth. September eighteenth was was what, and this doesn't have a central airtime across the country it airs at all different times but the the first run has a date of september 18th which is now you know four weeks ago so i have what i have now is data for the first two episodes that report is out there for subscribers uh 18th of september 25th of september those two episodes average to 277,000 viewers so just under 300,000 viewers uh that's less than what rampage does by a lot but it's more than what impact does by a lot so we have here on the screen for people watching on youtube is the september 2022 average total viewership for all of the nationally televised wrestling programs and uh impact averaged 87,000 viewers on access tv with its lower coverage 87,000 viewers for impact is what they averaged in september new japan which airs right after impact averaged roughly half that 48,000 viewers uh, and again, Women of Wrestling via CBS Media Ventures syndication, 277,000 viewers. Compare that to Rampage uh, on TNT averaging 483,000 viewers in September. Uh, and, and as we know, the other programs do much larger viewership than that. Um, any luck finding how to, how to watch WoW in Boston? 
I sure have. Uh, courtesy of 411 Mania via PW Insider. Um, I have all of the stations. I have most of our, you know, your top media markets. Buffalo, unfortunately, does not crack this yeah, list. We, we are not you, a top media market. I'm doing my best. Well, I mean, like, there are some on here, Richmond, Virginia, Cincinnati, that are probably similar in size to the Buffalo media market. But I can assure you that right here in Boston, Massachusetts, you can watch Women of Wrestling. Uh, is that the day of the week on this? Uh, doesn't tell me. It's weird. It doesn't tell me the day of the week, but you can watch it. Maybe it's every day. the network. <laughs> yeah, well, it's telling me in Boston, I can watch it on WSBK, which is the My, T- My Network TV, um, which is the former UP- old UPN slot. It's airing at 12 a.m. on My TV. Um, I have, for some other versions, New York City, it's airing on WLNY at 11 p.m. Eastern. In Los Angeles, it's on KCAL at Channel 9 at 2 a.m. In Chicago, it's on WCIU. Uh, their C- CW affiliate, uh, that's airing at 12 uh, noon time, central time. Um, and if you go on, if you Google it on 411 Mania, they have a whole list of, of where you can watch. Wow. Um, it doesn't so tell the, me the, the day of the That's week. the network? It, does, it did tell you the time? Did you just say that? It does tell me the times. Okay. But not the day of the week. It doesn't tell me the day of the week here. It doesn't say that they're all on the same day. So, um, can we, so, so. What do you think the goal is for WOW? I know it's a, it's a, it's a, um, like Jeannie Buss, who's the owner of the Los Angeles Lakers. She's kind of the, the money and the kind of production behind it. Um, but what is WOW's goal? Is it to become like a syndicated success show like Jeopardy or Jerry Springer or something like that? Is it trying to sell tickets? I don't think they have pay per view events or anything like that. Like they don't build up to things like that. Um, yeah, the, what is their when, economic when Wall goal? Street Journal, when Wall Street Journal was doing that article uh, a few weeks ago about Wow, I mean that was, that was one of the things I was talking to talking with the reporter about is that I don't I mean I don't know what their goals are. Um, this is a Genie Bus project. Genie Bus is the owner of the Lakers. Am I getting that right? Yeah, she's um, the owner of the Lakers. The Bus family owns the Lakers, and she's like the chairwoman, I think, um, of so, the Lakers. I mean, I, I don't know if they see this as being something that they can they can do peak events with uh, in, in in venues. This is just being taped in studios for extended, you know, taping taping durations. They tape a bunch of a bunch of episodes that were taped a while ago, and now they're airing them. Um, I don't know if they have designs on doing pay per view. Um, I, I really don't know. I, I I wonder if it's clearly defined for them. As far as what their goals are, uh, are they how are they generating revenue now? I imagine there maybe there's an ad revenue share on what what's being generated around these these events. I can't see what other revenue there would be to get immediately anyway. Right? Do you know who the Wow Champion is? I have no idea who's the Wow Champion. I I have I know nothing about this, and part of it is, um, you know, part of it is that I you know I'm not watching Wow, but also part of it is it seems to have almost no real footprint in the broader wrestling world. No one talks about it really. Um, it only exists in press releases. I don't know what they, you know, how many, I'm curious to know if they have a YouTube channel and like how many people are watching their clips on YouTube. Um, I just, I, they have like, that's what I'm so don't know what their game plan is because they don't seem to have any kind of real footprint. The only story I remember hearing about it is like Tessa Blanchard was like the coach and she got ran out of the company or something like that. Um, but uh, let me see here. They have had ninety episodes. Did you know that? It, it's it's had a, a prior run on Access. 
Um, so I, I don't, I don't think you've read the report yet that I put up just as you were coming, coming on to the, the link here. Um, what would you guess is, so I only have this within the demo within 18 to 49, but what would you guess is, is the percentage of female viewers who watch wow in the demo? See, I feel like you're going to try to trick me. Right. This, um, this could go a number of ways. Um, I'm, I'll be very boring and say 50%. 50%. So do you know what, do, do you know what W and AW do for their, their percentage of female viewers? I, I, I think WWE is probably like 45% around that and WWE and AEW is slightly lower. Like maybe like yep, 30, that, that, that's, that's pretty close. I, w- I would say that what I wrote in the report is that W usually does about 40% female viewers and AEW is about 33%. Or about one third. Okay, so so we have two episodes here of data. So episode one had where is it? Had fifty nine percent female viewership within the demo. Fifty nine percent. We're getting into smaller demos here when we when we break it down to subsets of the of the eighteen forty nine demo. Nonetheless, that's that's pretty high. And what what we see like an impact with its really small samples, we see it in what ends up being measured as I will say measured as an enormous male percentage. I can look that up in a second. But anyway, fifty nine percent female audience in episode one. In episode two, it was forty nine percent female audience. Even taking that latter smaller percentage sample. The, the, the instance of the second episode where there was only 49% of a female audience, that's still way above what WWE does or any other wrestling program does. Um, what does Impact measure at? And I say measure at you know, with, with some caution here. But in Q3, Impact measured at a 14% female audience. 14% female audience. Again, WOW had a majority female audience for its first episode, according to Nielsen measurements. And had nearly half of its audience in the in the in the you know in the demo was a female audience for the second episode. So that's you know I, I would not have expected that. I'm sort of skeptical that it would really end up being as female an audience as as it is. So that's I would say that's what impressive. is the what is the typical makeup of like a syndicated show that might be airing on during the day? No idea. Is that more female skewing? I felt like at least anecdotally. If something's airing at noon on a on a weekday, from remembering my days homesick, my days sick home, uh, my days homesick from school, I feel like everything that was aired on you know television during that time period would probably be aimed at women. But I'd be curious to know if that makes it a bigger difference in the the, the skew. If it's airing at like twelve noon time in Chicago on a Wednesday, something that's maybe is that comparable to that is. You know, and Showbiz doesn't give us Showbiz doesn't give us demos. They give us shares, and I don't know what shares are. Um, if we look at like I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to find something that's a good example. It's going to do Good Morning America, but, but Showbiz doesn't give us uh, male and female demos for Good Morning America. Uh, but but in the share for whatever the share means, Good Morning America had a higher share with men 18 and 49 than women 18 and 49 at at, at 8:19 a.m. on ABC last Saturday. Uh, the the following telecast at nine was an even split. Um, I'm not going to look at football because it's football. Um, what about news? News NBC nightly news at six thirty p.m. on Saturday had a majority female audience. It looks like I don't know, but that but that's interesting. Maybe maybe they they are capturing some female viewership that wrestling doesn't usually capture. Here I think is is a, is a story to apply to this. Um, 
I'm on their YouTube page now. It seems like their YouTube videos look like they do somewhere, like they have some matches and, and put up there. And I would say that they appear to do somewhere between 1,000 to 1,000 views. And I'll say I was, I was surprised when I saw these numbers that they were as high as, as I did not expect these numbers to be as high as they are. Uh, so we'll see well, how that goes we used to get, forward. We used to get like the, there used to be discussions about like the Ring of Honor numbers are much higher than people think. Like, there were discussions about Ring of Honor numbers yeah. that, that, that Dave has reported. I've never seen Ring of Honor numbers myself. And I've asked, uh, I've asked if, 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 if I can get access to Ring of Honor numbers and I've, I've never been able to. Um, Dave has reported this is like years. I'm talking like 2015. He, I believe, yeah. he has mentioned when they were being 400, syndicated, 400,000 viewers. Now this would be a, at a time where imagine what WWE was doing at the time, like four million viewers or something like that. So who knows what that would come out to in, in today's media environment? But yeah, I've I've never seen that myself in in like real Nielsen data. Um, if you want to do super chat, go for it. We, I know we have some super chats on deck. We will handle those at the end. Um, we touched on this a little bit on Thursday, but Jesse really wanted to talk about it. We're going to, we're going to touch on the Ariel Hawani and Tony Khan interview. Um, we have a couple of clips to play. We have one clip to play from this interview, and we're going to contrast it against Ariel Hawani's interview with one Paul Levesque. Um, anything to say here before we throw it to the first clip? Um, yeah, I uh, listened to the whole... Uh, Hawani Tony Khan interview went up immediately after Dynamite on Wednesday night, um, and I thought it was a pretty good interview. Of I've listened to a lot of Tony Khan interviews over the years. This was one of the better ones when it comes to I think someone really digging in and asking questions and making him elaborate on certain subjects. Um, I thought that he Ariel did a like it was kind of like what I would expect from Ariel Hawani, you know, a seasoned. MMA interviewer, a guy who's done a lot of interviews like in this format before. Um, he asked Tony a lot of questions. He doesn't let Tony off the hook when Tony tries to give him like non-answers. Um, he tries to push him as best as he can uh, while still trying to maintain a somewhat friendly atmosphere on the podcast. Um, and Tony does get to some of the the details that, that Ariel hints at. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting interview. I would recommend going to see it. Um, if you haven't listened to it. And I think like the clip I, I picked out here is something that a good example of kind of Ariel, like really, you know, asking Tony follow-up questions. When Tony says something, Ariel asks why, and he asks who, can he tell me more? And sometimes we don't always see that with interviews with Tony Khan. Okay. So here's, uh, here's this clip. What, what is this clip about? Can you set this clip up? I, I listened to it earlier. I'm struggling to remember what, it, what it's about. Um, this is, this is about Tony Khan. And whether he has talked, it's about Tony Khan. Ariel's asking Tony Khan whether so, he has talked to various W executives. So if I want, so I guess I, I'll set it up more. Like the last half hour or so of this podcast, Ariel is very fixated on Tony Khan's relationship with WWE, and particularly his relationship with Nick Khan, Triple H, and Stephanie McMahon. Um, and and they acknowledge that that Ariel is is friends with Nick Khan, and Nick Khan used to be his agent. Um, and at some, in some ways, it, to me, it comes across as Ariel, like having kind of like a, a personal stake in like kind of exploiting what Tony's feelings are towards Nick Khan. Uh, but nonetheless, it functions as good journalism, I think. Funny you ask Ghetto, should I do a promo? It's probably good for all of us, right? Like, I'm not saying anything salacious, true, because I think they told me Nick did call them. And uh, that, you know, Japan relationship. that they weren't, they weren't going to do anything with it. So that's did what you I say it? Was fun. 
in the phone call, can I ask in the phone call, did you say there's only room for one con in this business? Did you say that to him? I cannot, I can't say nothing. Wow. <laughs> You're really stonewalling me here on this. No, one. I'm giving you, I think I'm giving you a lot. No, you have, you have, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm trying. What is your relationship? Like, do you talk to him, you know, a lot or I was can't, it just, I can't, okay, I can't, you can't. but I, I, uh, but I, you know, have you ever have... talked to triple H? Yeah. Recently? No. Stephanie? Yeah. Recently? No. How long ago? A long time ago, I, I would say I would Is actually. Was this pre-AW? Like, yeah, I, I, I think we all used. To, I thought we were friends. Actually, I think oh. we used to be friends. So well, now um, you're, I mean, more competitors than friends, right? I mean, maybe. No, I was not a competitor at all. I was a football. Oh, now. Player. Yeah, now I haven't seen him in a long time, but you know, I wish him the best. They were. They used to. Be was it about best. like doing work with your family? I was a, I'm a big wrestling fan. I was, and I have a lot, a lot of friends around, and uh, I'm also in Florida, and they were in Florida, so um, it's a small world. And uh, they were really nice to me, you know, once upon a time as a football owner. And, uh, you know, it was a diff- totally different time. Sure. But, uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Do you think that's the right crew to lead them in, as a wrestling fan? Like, is that the right trio to lead them in this new era? I don't know. Time will tell. Uh, time will tell. It's a, it's a really interesting time in the wrestling business, though. So there it is. Yeah, it was. I was. Um, I've wondered for a while. That's why I said on Thursday. I've wondered for a while if, if there has been much direct contact between the top executives in AEW and the top executives in WWE. Um, I'd be interested to know if Tony's ever had an interaction with Vince, but we've learned that he has. He he mentions earlier. He says earlier in this interview that he has never met met Nick Khan, uh, but then he does. It, 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 he confirms that he has actually had phone conversations with Nikon. Yeah, I mean, he we definitely learn a little bit more, uh, thanks to Ariel's prodding, a little bit more about their relationship. Um, and kind of Tony continues to hint at things like, oh, I thought we were friends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, why, why aren't you friends anymore? Is it because you're competitors? <laughs> and Ariel kind of suggests that, um, which makes sense. But we're, we continue to be teased, Brandon, by the idea that t- Tony and Triple H have had some sort of massive or, or, or Triple H and Stephanie or Triple H and Stephanie and Nick Khan have had some sort of massive dispute over something. Is it ta- talent tampering? Um, what exactly is, is it? We don't know for sure, but it continues to be hinted at. I don't know if we'll ever find out the answer to it. Um, Tony well, is part is, of what he's alluding to here is that he talks about going to Rocky Romero, who he refers to only as rock. Not Dwayne Johnson. He's referring to Rocky Romero. You don't think Dwayne Johnson is the liaison between New Japan Pro Wrestling and AEW? You, you never know what what Dwayne Johnson is really involved in, but I don't think so. Um, but he he does. Tony says that Nick Khan had made contact with New Japan about something, presumably a relationship, but that but that New Japan was was not going to do that. They're, they're talking about this this time around. I don't know if you could place it in time, but about I don't know a year ago or so, where. Tony does that 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 promo with Tony Schiavone where he's he's wearing the, the shades and says that there's only room in this business for one con. Right, and there was discussion that WWE was working with was trying to work with New Japan as like a way to like allow Brian Danielson to stay in the company. That was this that the, was the report. The Observer had had recently reported that. Yeah. Um and, and Tony's talked about this before. He even in his promo he said, you know, the the kind of fake promo, real promo, fake promo, sunglass Tony promo on impact where he says, um, you know, like he's the one 
who that week when it's being rumored that like New Japan and WWE are going to make a deal, like Rocky Romero, I think was on w, uh, AEW television. I think they had like Rapongi Vice. They had, I think there were some of the tag champions. Maybe the, it was like Tomohiro Ishii on it. Someone was on it. Uh, He's talking about they. This was the time that they had done where they're about to do Yuji Nagata versus John Moxley. On right. Dynamite. Right. So like he has New Japan talent on his show. And he's being confronted with these rumors that WWE is going to strike a deal, exclusive deal with New Japan for wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, Tony was extremely confident that that wasn't going to happen, which is why he was very confident in saying it's not going to happen publicly. Okay. So, ready for the Triple H clip now? This is this this interview with with Tony and Ariel Hawani was just uh, this past week, just on Wednesday night, and then mm-hmm. we'll we'll go back to this clip from September where. Triple H is being interviewed by Ariel Hawani for BT Sport. This interview with, with Tony was for uh, the Ariel Hawani show. But this was for BT Sport, which Ariel Hawani works for, which is also the UK TV partner for WWE. Um, but here's, here's my, my, one of my favorite versions of, of Triple H. You know, this is the game Triple H. This is the Hunter Helmsley Triple H. And this, 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 is, this is the gaslighting. No, no, it was never like that, Triple H. So just curious, you know, there was that story, and that's why I appreciate you being here and maybe uh, putting to rest some theories out there. NXT went head-to-head with AEW. It couldn't beat him. We're going to punish it. Was that a real thing? No. Nonsense. No. no, look, we do. Uh, people put so much pressure on this, this, all this competitive wars. It never was that. Look, first of all, they beat our developmental system. Good for them, right? Um no, it was never that. It, it was never, there was never even a pressure of like, oh, you have to beat that. Like, it was never that. It's put on the best product we could. Like I said, it shifted over time. During the pandemic, all of that shifted over time. And the, the opportunity for us to change it back to what it truly was, right? When you look at a lot of the stars that we, that, that have come through that system. So, then he goes on to talk about how, it, it changed over time, and now they create in NXT. They created all these stars in NXT, and now they're they're on the main roster. They weren't stars before, and we made them stars. Okay, thoughts on that, Jesse? So, what, what, why is this interesting, right? Um, what I find really interesting about this, uh, these two clan of clips contrasted, is I talked about this at the time. I thought that the way Ariel asked that question is ridiculous in the sense it was such a. Not only was it kind of, it was like. A tough question, right? Oh, he's going to ask him if, if he was punished for losing to AEW, right? Wow, that's a tough question. But the way he asks it is in such a ridiculous way where he's like, so there are these rumors online, and I'm glad you're here to kind of dispel these obvious rumors. But there are people saying that you're going to be, you know, you were punished for losing to, to NXT for AEW, and NXT didn't get the job done. Nonsense, right? That That's really what he says. And it's in when Triple H gives this long answer about how, oh, they beat our developmental, which every single person listening to the interview is thinking, well, Triple H famously said wasn't developmental. So Ariel obviously should be following up with a prodding question of like, well, you in the past have said that it's not developmental. Did you feel like that philosophy changed? Which would what like how a a good journalist would do. And Ariel can be a good journalist at times. Um, And so it's a total contrast to how he approached the Tony interview, which is a lot more prodding and a lot more follow-up and a lot more kind of investigative look at the relationship between Tony and the WWE executives, as opposed to this Triple H interview where he kind of just lobs questions up to Triple H, 
you know, Paul Levesque can give his long spiel answer and then they can move on to the next question. But why is this really interesting to look at? I think it's a good difference between how WWE approaches its media relationships and how AEW approaches its media relationships. In this example, we have the same person is giving these interviews. They're both long, you know, interviews that were broadcasted on on YouTube and other outlets. Like they're both, I think, over an hour long. Um, it's Ariel Hawani doing both of them. They're, they take place like a month apart from one another. And yet his tone on one of them is totally different than his tone in the other in the other one. Why is that? Is it because Ariel's like in the bag for WWE? I don't think that's necessarily the case. I look at the outlets that they produced it on. One was with BT Sport, which is a WWE corporate sponsor or a cor- corporate partner. It's their TV affiliate in the UK, Brandon, as you mentioned. And so it's obviously going to be way more friendly towards Triple H. The Tony Khan interview is done on Ariel Hawani's podcast, which I don't know if it's an independent podcast. I don't know if it's part of a bigger broadcasting network, but it seems to be a much more uh, autonomous show than like a BT Sports sit-down interview. And so in that instance, Ariel is allowed to, I think, you know, be more investigative, not be not needing to be conscious of, I think, stroking the ego of of the interview subject as much because he's not doing it with someone who's a powerful person that's a corporate partner. He's doing it with just a famous person that is has a following and is a celebrity in the sense. Um, and so it shows like I think with AEW and Tony Khan, they're much more open to doing these kind of interviews with kind of any outlet that they that they choose to do. We've seen them do a lot of different interviews with a lot of different people. WWE, it's a lot more close guarded. It's a lot more working with corporate sponsors or partners. It's a lot more, you know, making sure that the right per- they're doing working with the right person who's going to be on the same page with the kind of uh, uh, image that they want to produce. I-, I found it very fascinating to see in this instance the same reporter kind of have a totally different style of interview depending on what platform he's doing the interview for. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with the fact that Ariel Hawani is a Buffalo Bills fan, you're a Patriots fan, and you're just against Buffalo, the Buffalo Bills. Is that, is that true? Is he a Buffalo Bills fan? He's going, he was talking about going to the Bills game today, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, he's, he's, from, he's from Canada, right? Yes, yes. But he's still he's a Bills fan. Um, but yeah. Um, no, think- it has nothing to do. I, I have nothing. You know, Brandon, it's really funny. I, like, I know like a billion Bills fans all of a sudden. Like... All like I, I spend all my Sunday with you and Gullo, and my uh, my neighbor downstairs is a big Bills fan, and really? my friend, one of my good friends from college, has become a Bills fan. He was a football atheist previously, and he has adopted wow. the Bills. Wow. Um, I'm just surrounded. I, you know, I, I I feel like I deal with more Bills fans than Patriots fans these days. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I uh, I, I think the most interesting part is is just wonder what the nature of those those relationships are. But yeah, I I think it's I I don't think some of the, one of the things that I'm learning here is as I do more of this media stuff is that it's not always evident to me or and I assume to other people the degree to which they're being influenced or being you know drawn to to approach certain things in a nicer usually nicer way because. Of, <laughs> because they have a relationship with somebody or because for in, in Ariel's case, because he's working for BT sport. Um, it's, 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 it's hard to judge that for oneself in the moment. Yeah. I mean, I think as an outsider, I, I looked at the Tony Khan interview and thought this is, seems like more similar to Ariel Hawani's interviews with Dana White or with, uh, 
some people in the MMA world, as opposed to his BT sport interview, which felt like an interview that Ryan Satin would do with somebody. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, uh, um, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's something that I think is interesting about it is, uh, just with Tony, like, so I saw on Twitter, Ariel was, was hinting at that. He was, he didn't like the interview with Tony and he felt like Tony stonewalled him. And he was kind of like liking and retweeting, um, comments from, from other people who were mentioning how many times Tony said like no comment to certain questions. Um, and I thought that was interesting because I'm like, well, at least, you know, you know, I, 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 did he, did he, did he make similar comments about how he wasn't allowed to ask difficult questions to triple H? Probably not. Um, so I was like, can you really complain that Tony didn't give you eloquent answers to difficult questions when in the triple H interview, you didn't even ask them. But I also think it's interesting. Like, so he asked, so, so Ariel asks him about like, how is the CM Punk Young Bucks fight investigation going? And Tony basically says, I can't comment on it, on it at this time. And I get fans are frustrated that they don't know the details about that. But like Tony doesn't, Tony doesn't have any responsibility to tell us. It'd probably be poor management to tell everyone what the status of the investigation is. More than anything is probably what the protection sure. is. Or, you know, he, he doesn't tell, he doesn't tell, tell us, you know, did, did MJF sign a, a contract extension? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when Tony doesn't answer these questions, I think there's some frustration that, oh, Tony's hiding things. He's, he's not being forthcoming. And it's like, well, like, like with Triple H or if Vince was ever doing an interview, no one would even ask him these questions in the first place. I think Tony somehow shoulders a responsibility because Tony's so media friendly. I think sometimes he shoulders an extra responsibility for transparency that it, in a standard for that, that isn't held to other personalities in pro wrestling and other personalities are, can be, uh, it's, it's totally accepted and even encouraged that they're workers. But I think because Tony has been very open about his booking style and he's made plenty of comments in the past, people expect him to be, I think way more transparent than I think is reasonable in a lot of ways in that, like Tony doesn't have any, it's, he's, it's a privately held company. He doesn't have to tell us what happens with any of those things. Like he, he, it's not, he doesn't have any obligation to do that. He doesn't have any obligation to do this uh, an hour and a half long sit down interview with Ariel Hawani. Um, so I think you kind of have to just accept that he's not going to be super transparent on everything. Um, the best you can do is kind of poke and prod him, which Ariel does to kind of get a little bit more information when he's not necessarily going to be super forthcoming about it. Yeah. I, I guess, I don't know. I think, Triple H doesn't have an obligation to do any media, nor, nor did Vince, and Vince didn't. <laughs> no. And, uh, you know, they have an obligation to, to do certain things for their investors. Um, I think it's, I think maybe the argument is that there is, there's, there are many things that are just in the, in the public interest. Um, and in, if you can get, especially people who have a lot of power who are executives in wrestling to speak openly and hopefully honestly about about things like like contracts and like the relationships with with talent that it will create a more transparent and therefore hopefully more fair and equitable environment for wrestlers and and for fans to make 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 choices um but yeah um okay we'll uh we're at we're at an hour 24 already so let, let's touch briefly on I, I did this uh these, the series of tables we're using cage match data looking at let's take all of the matches on cage match from 1970 forward uh 
through October 7th, 2022, and count up the wrestlers. We're going to separate them by decade because there's obviously going to be more matches voted on later in time rather than earlier in time. But let's separate the decades. The 70s, 80s, 90s, the aughts, the 10s, and the early 20s here. And ask who's got the most matches that have been rated at least 8.0 or better. And um, the big winners here. If we're using a metric like this, I guess part of the reason why this came to mind uh, is because of the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Somebody asked me to to look up a certain wrestler and count the number of matches that he had that were above a certain level. But anyway, I decided to apply this to the, the entirety of, res- of of cage matches wrestling history. And uh, what we get here is that you, you can make a gar- good argument from here that Jumbo Saruta is the greatest wrestler of all time because he's in three different decades, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Nobody else is in three different decades. Um, and so we get the, the, the leader for the 70s is Jumbo Saruta. The leader for the 80s is Ric Flair. The leader for the 90s is Mitsuharu Misawa. In fact, in the top three for the 90s is Misawa Kobashi Kawada. Uh, the leader for the aughts is Brian Danielson by a wide margin. The leader for the 2010s is Will Ospreay. The leader for the 20s so far is Will Ospreay. Here's a divisive question. Is, is Will Ospreay becoming one of the greatest wrestlers of all time? Is he the greatest wrestler of all? He's on, he's on track. Could, he, could, you, could one say by looking at this that Will Ospreay is on track to be the greatest in-ring performer? Whoa, let's define this a little bit narrower. The greatest in-ring performer of all time, maybe. Uh, without comparing, I, I think there's a lot of detail that goes into comparing guys from, especially when it comes to data from cage match, guys who are wrestling actively while cage match is a thing versus historical figures. Um, I'm like a big is Ospreay. Will Ospreay who, b- better than Jack Briscoe? <laughs> I tell you what, I watched an Antonio Inoki Jack Briscoe match earlier yeah. this week that was thirty minutes and, and bored me to tears. Uh, so. <laughs> but um, uh, like I'm I'm a, I've I've been a, anyone that has followed me on social media will surely know that I am a big believer in Will Ospreay and that uh, I like if Will Ospreay was on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame ballot right now, I'd vote for him easily without even thinking about it for a second. Um, if he's we're probably like too, going too young still. He's probably well under 35 still, right? Well, yeah, he's, I think he's 29. 30, 29 he's, I think he's 29. Um, I think he's one year older than me. But uh, he, uh, I mean, if, if, if we're talking about Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame and we're going with the concept he's that one of the, cate- one, of the ga- one of the categories is, is outstanding wrestler, you know, outstanding performer, I think he checks that box so solidly that I don't care how big of a draw he is. I don't care if he doesn't have a particularly large... Um, historical impact it's i think he's one of the best wrestlers uh of all time and i think his performance this year where he is wrestling on three different continents on a somewhat regular basis and he's had amazing matches with an incredible variety of opponents doing a variety of different matches i think has been extraordinarily impressive i mean looking at the chart the big thing for him is that he was he managed to be the leader in the 2010s, um, despite I think he only made his. I think mean, he only started wrestling in like 2011 and two, or 2012 or so. Um, so he's already the the number one performer from the 2010s. He already has that locked up, um, and he would have to be like the heavy betting favorite to win the 2022s or the 2020s. I would guess if he were to handicap. Uh, and, and just to look at it, the number two is yes. Tomohiro Ishii, who's well into his 40s. I think he's approaching 50. Right. The likelihood mm-hmm. that Ishii will hold up throughout the decade, given his age, is, doesn't seem good. 
And Ishii reportedly almost didn't make the G1 cut this year. And he's obviously someone that's relying on the G1 to kind of bang out those that data. When I look at this data, a big thing, and again, as I, I, have, a, I have my own spreadsheet with my match ratings, and I do some data crunching on my own just to see who I have as like the top wrestler of the year at the end of the year. And the big thing, the big thing we see, why, why we, so let's talk real quick about, I think, why we don't see a lot of WWE names on Buys. here. Buys. Right. Smarks are rating things on cage match. And this they is most don't insignificant. Understand. This is most insignificant data I've ever seen. It's yeah. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. When you put, when you presented this, yes. Be, be, because it doesn't match my opinion. This yeah. is complete nonsense. Hey, I mean, amongst hardcore wrestling fans, this is a this is a pretty good consensus. I think of how people view things. Like of the '90s, Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada, Tawei, or one, two, three, four. Yes, I, I snubbed Tawei earlier. I apologize. Yeah. Um, how dare it's okay. I. I'm also, often, a disrespect- I'm also a Tawei disrespecter, okay. but, um, okay. the, um, but basically, um, so with WWE, a big thing for me, at least when I would start, when I first started doing my personal spreadsheet and I started looking at the data is I don't really think that WWE wrestlers are incapable of having matches that are four stars or better, which is the translate, basically the translation of getting an eight or higher on cage match. Um, but what I think is there's this up until very recently in the, it's very likely that the triple H era actually changes this. I think so. But WWE didn't present, give their wrestlers a often didn't give them a lot of opportunity to have extremely good matches. They didn't do a lot of long singles matches unless they were on pay-per-view. Um, and a lot of times those were limited. Sometimes they were handicapped by weird gimmicks, things like that. You just wouldn't, Wrestling for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and we see both in the 2020s and the 2010s, New Japan Pro Wrestling wrestlers dominate those. Looking, I'm looking at the 2010s right now. The only wrestler not associated with New Japan Pro Wrestling in the 2010s is Walter. That's in the top yeah. 10. I, I would say this about WWE and that. I, I, I did a podcast for PWI a, a while ago with Brian Solomon, who's also going to be in the, the Vince documentary, who used to be a writer for WWE in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. I remember him saying, this has stuck with me, that, 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 that Vince would be opposed to this entire paradigm of looking at, at, at wrestling this way. That he, he said something to the effect of that he, Vince is totally opposed to this Meltzer way, way of looking at wrestling where you like rate matches or, you know, what, 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 whatever, to whatever degree we could say that like Dave, and maybe it's not Dave alone, but that, but that sort of looking at wrestling in 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 a work rate sense in a match quality sense whatever we mean when we say that like that that is not something that vince cares about or values and i would that to some degree he's actively opposed to it and that is related to that i think related to what you're saying jesse is that when i when i look through cage match and look, look through the highest rated matches in WWE history or modern history most of them are gimmick matches of some sort. None, very few of them are straight up singles matches without some gimmick yes. involved. This was a big thing with, I think, Edge's Hall of Fame candidacy in that mm-hmm. you can look at, oh, Edge has had all of these memorable matches in his career that were great and got great pos- uh, positive receptions. How many of those were just like Edge wrestled a guy? Like it's, it's, it's Hell in a Cell. It's the, the, the street fight with Mick Foley. Um, 
TLC, it's it's a no mercy tag. TLC, right. Hell in a Cell, Hardcore with McFoley, TLC, Elimination Chamber, Triangle Ladder, Money in the Bank Ladder, a singles match with The Undertaker at WrestleMania, Tag mm-hmm. Team Ladder, a Royal Rumble, a Fatal Four Way, a Triple Threat, TLC, TLC, Hell in a Cell, a six man tag with Beulah, Tommy Dreamer, and, and, and so to be fair, Brandon, the see. data that Go you on. have here are the data you have here are not just all singles matches. It contains any gimmick match. matches and things like yes, that. Any yes. matches. Any match. So so that necessarily wouldn't stop you. But I think in general when it comes to like you if you watch like when I do my data, I'm like, okay, these New Japan guys always dominate. I actually have why why is that? And it's because New Japan, because even though New Japan does a lot of like doesn't actually do a ton of singles matches um compared to WWE for their talent, because they, you know, all of the non important shows all have all the stars are in tag matches and things like that. Because of things like the G1 and things like the New Japan Cup, you will get someone like Zack Sabre Jr. who will have 10 chances a year to have an outstanding match because he'll be working against Hiroshi Tanahashi or uh, Tetsuya Naito or Jay White or Will Ospreay or whoever his opponent is. And And the stakes in the emotional investment is high. And the stakes in the emotional investment is often higher because the booking is better. Um, but in WWE, they just don't really do that that much. I mean, a big thing for me is if you were to look at the 90s, okay? I think there are two very famous names missing from that 90s mm. one, and that's Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Are you going to tell me that Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart aren't two of the best workers of the 90s? Uh, no, I think that would be preposterous to say. But if you go back and look, like as great as Bret Hart was – he didn't have a lot of television matches that were amazing singles matches that could be compared to somebody like um, John Akiyama or Kyoko Inoue um, because those wrestlers were in uh, settings where they were allowed to have better singles matches. And that's just how they've utilized their talent. I don't think it's necessarily reflective on the individual wrestlers not being as good or as talented. And in WWE, there are certainly bigger stars for the most part. But and WWE if you look at external has, factors, I mean, look at look at Talway being number four. Talway was along for the ride on a lot of all time. Oh, how da- how dare you, Brandon? But yes, it's it's okay. Like, how many of those Misawa Kobashi Kawada Talway matches were they all in? Was it a t- or whether yeah. it was a tag match or, or a, a six man tag? Yeah. Um, and obviously that helps because you don't just rate if if a match has a high rating it's not just getting a rating for one individual person it's everyone in the match gets a gets the gets the 10 or whatever so um i think when when you look at it like that uh it kind of puts i, I had think, to plug my, my light in for for people who saw me disappear on youtube yeah it um i think it puts it puts that in i think into context of, of what it is why, why why did you call this you called this because someone asked you about something someone who's involved with with the observer Hall of Fame voting asked me to look at Naito specifically in a, not this exact same way, but in a similar way. And, I, and so it, it caused me to write a Python script and I was like, you know what? I could apply this more broadly and not this. And Naito is not on this, not, does, does not appear to crack either the 2010s or the 2022s, which kind of, kind of, I'm on pro Naito voter too. And I think Naito as a worker is, is phenomenally underrated, but it's also a t- when, when Kenny Omega is 10th for the 2010s, it's also a pretty difficult, uh, List of crack and you know things like durability are a factor. Things about the timing of their careers is is a factor. Like we said, Will Ospreay is probably going to win the twenty twenties purely based 
obviously based on his skill, but also based on the fact that he's his prime is going to take up this entire decade, while a lot of the wrestlers that are close to him are probably going to be into their 40s or in the case of someone like Ishii, going to be in their 50s before it ends. Okay. I think, oh, and then this is, what did I, what was this about? I remember once I started looking at, this is this, this, is year, this year, yeah, this year only, and I guess this would be a, a starting point or a mathematical way to try to answer who's the, the most outstanding performer based on cage match ratings, who has the most matches in cage match that are currently rated 8.0 or better. And it's Will Ospreay. Number one, it's John Moxley. Number two, Okada, Mike Bailey, Tak Kanosuke Takashita, Tomohiro Ishii, Siuri. Am I saying her name right? Saya Kamitani. Obviously I'm not familiar with, with these stardom top stars. Brian Danielson and Kento Miyahara. Uh, there they are. Uh, we, we could say this too in, in, in terms of women on this list, uh, both in both in this 2022 list and looking back on the decades. Um, Siuri is is up here for the, the the 20s, and there's no women in this top 10 until we could go back to there's three in the 90s with uh, Minami Tuoda, Ajakan, and Kyoko Inoue. Um, but maybe the return of people. Highly I think, acclaimed women's wrestling in Japan. So I t we talked. I talked earlier about how cage match ratings kind of have to be looked at within the scale of their own individual promotions. People in Joshi will tell you that the cage match ratings for Joshi are not particularly helpful because there are a lot. There, there, there. First of all, there are not a lot of voters who are looking at Joshi to vote. So we're talking about a dozen or so people who can influence a rating. Um, and that there are, uh, you know, someone who has like, if someone has like an eight and a half rating uh, on their wrestler profile on cage match and they're a Joshi wrestler, like they, that means they're like average at best. Like it's all in the inflation there is really high. And people who are hardcore Joshi people have told me this, that it's someone told me today, someone who's like one of the most passionate Joshi fans. I know uh, they're usually my go-to person for when I need links to these shows that I want to watch. But they will tell me that like, they told me like, yeah, cage match is always the rating system have has always been unusable for Joshi fans because it's it's the inflation's really high. So not to knock on on um, Shuri or Sayakamatani or these people who are who are very talented. I'm sure these these matches that they've had, some of them I've seen, are very good. But I think it comes everything comes with a grain of salt, especially well, when you're looking I can, at. I can tell you this factoid that I'm sure you'll enjoy. So for the pe people want to know, where's Roman Reigns in the say the 20s or the 2010s? I can tell you, where's Roman Reigns so far in the 20s? Roman Reigns currently has, in the 20s, uh, 11 matches that are rated 8.0 or higher. He is behind. And I did, I did some tiebreakers to, to rank these, right? So I, so I said, you know, it's, it's, it's a count of 8.0 matches. And then if there's a tie there, then it's a count of 9.0 matches. And then if there's a tie there, I just take whatever is your highest match and then break the tie that way. So anyway, Roman Reigns is number 64. He's got 11 matches rated 8.0 or higher. He is ranked behind, so ranked ahead of him, better than him, is Maki Ito. Uh, yeah, you tweeted that out. And uh, I, did you update that information? Because I think when you tweeted that out, uh, <laughs> Roman Range isn't 63 anymore. I don't know. I have to run the script again. <laughs> he might be in the top 10 for all we know. People can go back and change and, 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 and rate a match from any time. It doesn't have to be recent. Yeah, so... All right, well, uh, let's let's do some questions here. Uh, all right, because we got we got quite a few. Uh, so if I go back, we did, we did Tim B's. Uh, maybe he has another one, but we'll do this one. Can uh, Louis asks? Can someone ask TK 
where the third party bot study is. I don't think we're ever going to see the third party bot study uh, publicly. He Tony Tony Khan said he Tony Bot Tony Khan said he did a uh, third party study, independent study, to verify his suspicion that there are Twitter bots, maybe another social media platforms who are influencing um, who are influencing uh, you know social media with anti w anti-aw sentiment and maybe pro w sentiment um i think they're influencing yes the, the what's the argument that the the bots would uh like certain comments and that would influence the, the algorithm would, to show right, them to other people engagement to 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 uh your your favorite rando w fan super passionate w fan on twitter uh and then and then the bots would engage with that tweet and yes exactly you know it would feed it into the algorithm um, I don't think you don't need bots. To, you, you don't need. I'll assure you, you do. People, WWE fans will do this on their own. They do not need bots. They don't need to pay people to do this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're if they're. I mean, we we've there's other companies have done this before, right? Like it's not like parties a, have done this. Yeah, it's <laughs> and, not like governments are doing this. I don't yeah, doubt. It's not like some. It's it's not like something that no one's ever done before. So it's not like quite a conspiracy theory on that end. Re- reportedly, but. Facebook has done this to denigrate TikTok. Uh, mm-hmm. the, Republican Party has done this. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if WWE has done that. But then again, I wouldn't be surprised if this is just Tony Khan being paranoid. Um, but I don't think we'll ever get an answer. Nor do I think we'll ever get an answer. Nor do I think we'll ever get like an answer to the to the Vince investigation. When are we going to learn more about that? Probably never. Um, and maybe we'll never learn that much more. I mean, eventually somebody's got to be fired or, or whatever out of this AEW investigation. But uh, big time Baxter asks, looking at AW quarter hours since August 24th, there's been close to 700,000 people tuning in to quarter hour one for non-18 to 49, rare, big, older audience tuning in likely. So um, I'm going to, have you noticed that? Do you, do you look at the quarter hours, Jesse? Yeah, I look at the quarter hours. Okay. And I've known Please. that the, the, the 50 plus audience for AEW is doing better than I think it has in the past. Okay, I'm going to. Where where is my Excel spreadsheet? Um, okay, maybe I have to actually put it up on the screen. Let's see. Present, share screen, window. There we go. Okay, so we're we're gonna put on the screen the 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 big Excel spreadsheet, which is where the which is where I I create these uh, tables and charts. So this is the most recent week. Um, Boy, this will be probably difficult to, to, to read. Maybe I'll just blow it up since we're talking about QH1 especially. So what we see here is 695,000, close to, to close to 700. Um, and is is that bigger than usual? So let's just go back uh, a week to what, we, what would be the 30th, the 29th? I think it's the 29th. Um, what, what, what was the week before? Let's see, 10, boom, boom, minus, minus 7. Will this work? No, it's not what I want. What what was the Wednesday before the fifth? The twenty eighth. Okay. The twenty eighth. Nine twenty eight. There we go. And we see six forty nine. And if we go to the Wednesday before that, which was the twenty second. Am I doing that math right? What's eight? No. It's not the twenty it's twenty first, okay. The twenty first. Six hundred. And let's go to the fourteenth. 694, the not the 7th, 614. And what would be the, this would be the 31st of August. Okay. 
close to 700 there. And what would be the, the Wednesday before the 31st? What's 31 minus 7? Uh, the 26th? I'm testing my mental math skills here. Is it the, the 25th? No. Is it the 27th? No. What's the Wednesday? What's 31 minus 7? 1, 6, 24th. There we go. Um, it's looking fairly high throughout. Is there really a pattern here? Are you noticing a pattern here that I'm not, Jesse? I'm not, no. Okay. Let's well, do the 17th. Maybe in some weeks here. Um, but, I mean, the big, big Bang Theory has historically, in this nearly one year that Dynamite has been on TBS, the Big Bang Theory has given AEW's early part of the show a larger female audience, a larger older audience, because the Big Bang Theory definitely skews older than than Dynamite. That's not to say the Big Bang Theory as a general entity, but that that the the Big Bang Theory airing in reruns on TBS has an older audience than Dynamite does for sure. I mean, the Big Bang Theory I think is pretty old. Like, didn't that happen like billions of years ago? Uh, about fourteen billion years ago, yeah. Um, so I I don't know, may, maybe. Um, if you, if you want to dig in, dig into the uh, the, the numbers and, and, and present a bigger argument, please do. Uh, but Big Time Baxter has another question. Do you think WBD is advertising a lot of AEW through Discovery channels that skews older audience because it's it's began outperforming op- 18 to 49 in some weeks? Um, I'm not aware of, of is, is AEW being advertised on other Discovery channels? Where I imagine I assume that's the older. case. I'm not a big viewer of Discovery networks. So I can't tell you, but I think the fact that I see Discovery stuff being advertised when I'm watching Dynamite, I assume vice versa. If you're watching something on Discovery Network or TLC, you might see advertisements for for AEW as well. Um, And if those do skew older, it would imply that perhaps more older people are watching. I don't know. Dynamite is skewing older lately, I would say. Um, If if I minimize this for a second and I pull up the median age chart, we were looking at that last week. I'm just going to share the, the WrestleMania viewership spreadsheet. And if we look at the median age chart, we can see we've got everything in the correct color here. We do. So Dynamite has definitely gotten older in recent months. You can see this upward trend in the median age viewer of Dynamite. Rampage has definitely gotten older over time, too, which is consistent with its decline in viewership, which I, I would argue is consistent with what I was arguing earlier about how uh, the medium is the message, Marshall McLuhan, and that a lot of what we see in these viewership trends has to do with the way that people are consuming media and just younger people. I think now I think this does have something to do with the content in Rampage's case. In that Rampage has become a less urgent show to watch live, and we've seen young people who are especially susceptible to not watch something live if it is not very important. We've seen this age of the viewer get older as young people have watched Rampage with less urgency. To totally go off base of what, well, sort of related to what, what, what uh, the question was about. Um, next, we have a question from Justin Robbins who asks, do you think the current AEW ratings show that Punk and the Elite didn't drive viewers as much as previously thought, given that numbers have mostly stayed in the millions? Would we expect more viewers with them? I would expect slightly higher viewership with them. I think... We're not in this like super stratified world where maybe we were in the 80s where, say, Hogan was 
let's take a year, 1986. Hogan was way bigger star than probably anybody else. Maybe Andre in 87 is comparable. But he's a way bigger star. I don't, I don't think there's this huge disparity in modern AEW or modern WWE. That said, I don't think there's... That this can also be true. I don't think there's any doubting that CM Punk is by far AEW's, or maybe was, AEW's biggest star. Because we see that bared out in, in, in this merchandise data that I'm beginning to, to scrape. We see that bared out in web search. We see that bared out in certain cases where the quarter hours, which are ambiguous, do give us a good impression, especially when we study those things over a long course of time, that CM Punk was a big deal. I don't, I don't see as strong an argument for the Young Bucks or for Kenny Omega, but I do see something for them, not, not in the realm of CM Punk. Um, well, I would, I would say even last year, when John Cena made his kind of return to to working some house shows and working some live events, you saw like a really large difference. You know, they were doing there were shows where they'd have five thousand tickets out, and then Cena would be advertised, and they'd have ten thousand tickets sold. So, I think, but I agree in the sense that we don't have you can't look at you can't compare drawing cards now to drawing individual drawing cards from previous generations of wrestling. Um, I think more like over the long term. Like, the elite have more of a drawing impact over the long term than they would from a week-to-week basis. And the same could be said for Punk. But I think in particular with the elite, like, if you lost the elite for good, I don't think their meetings, their ratings would immediately crater. But I would say a year after you lost the elite, you would have lost, I think, some people in the sense that you lost an identity part of the company um, in that kind of important aspect. And just all of these wrestlers... If even if they don't make up, make individually make huge differences, they do make up a collective brand that people enjoy. And if you change that brand too much by losing all of these talents, you will start losing viewers. And maybe you can change it and gain new viewers in, in regards to the ones you lost. But I think over time, these people have much b- bigger drawing impacts than they do. Like, oh, they're going to come back. You know, oh, they're going to do two million viewers now. It's just not going to happen. But I do think over the long term individual stars and or acts that are really over have import play important roles to, have important roles to play from a drawing perspective yeah I, I i think dynamite viewership would be a little bit higher with punk and kenny omega on tv less so the young bucks um i think and justin's question isn't isn't necessarily about the 80s or how wrestling once was but i think a big difference an emerging difference in, in wrestling and in, in terms in, in talent analytics and the, to the degree to which talent matters and determines your economics, something that is increasingly the case today, which was not the case further back in time, is that, and I mean, we're, we're seeing this in some of the merchandise data I scrape, we see this in Google web search, in that we see people who perform very highly here continue to be Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, people who do not, who are not accounted for today and were not accounted for in the 80s would be the legends of the past at that time, like Bruno San Martino or pick your name, Luthez, or I don't even know where where to go from there. There's, as, 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 as wrestling became more a part of, I guess, like consumer culture, or more importantly, became more a part of the media economy 
the video economy, we've seen those names and that, that IP, legacy IP, become really valuable over time, which I think is, on its face, is a good thing, in that you can continue to draw money with the NWO and Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Rock t-shirts, for an indefinite amount of time. But I think it's a tension in that it makes heads of creative more more susceptible to go with the pat hand and to go with these these older stars rather than create newer stars that will refresh your company and will, may, may benefit your company more in the long term. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a trend in general entertainment too in the sense that older acts that have multiple generations of fan bases, and especially if they have older generations who have more purchasing power than younger generations um, in most cases, those can be more lucrative. I mean, who are the most, if you want to buy concert tickets, who have the highest ticket prices for their concerts right now? Springsteen. Is it, is it the, yeah, is it the acts now or the the acts with 40 or 50 years worth of fans? Is it, it's Paul McCartney, it's Bruce Springsteen. It's, uh, I don't even know who else is, is out there. The Rolling Stones, like these, these really, you know, historical acts at this point, but because they have, People from multiple generations that are fans, they they are the biggest music stars and the most lucrative drawing cards in a lot of ways, um, even more so than than contemporary stars. So it doesn't surprise me that wrestling has taken that same trend where it wrestles like Stone Cold and The Rock. Like I, I'm too young to really remember the Attitude Era. Yeah, The Rock is is I think spills more over in towards my contemporary time, but like Steve Austin, like was pretty much retired. He was, he was retired by the time I started seriously watching wrestling because he retired when I was that, nine. That, that, that match he had with Kevin Owens, that's the first match that you would remember watching Stone Cold Steve Austin in, in real time. Yes. Yes. So, so like, um, but, but Steve Austin still holds like appeal to me as a fan, I think, because part of it is the, how, how much the attitude era has been adored and how much of that I've consumed as a fan. Uh, and obviously part of it is just, he's a tremendous performer. That tra- his appeal transcends generations in a way that maybe some other wrestlers don't. But it's in in, in all forms of entertainment, it's usually better to be older in the sense that you have multiple generations of fans. Like I would I would argue that I mean we talked about this uh, last week with Anoki. Like there will never be a wrestler as big in the culture as Anoki was in Japan. Just our culture is different, so no one will have that star power the way Anoki did. Uh, just like I don't think that. It's hard for me to envision a wrestler being as ubiquitously known for wrestling as Hulk Hogan was in the '80s, or Steve Austin or The Rock was in the '90s. Yeah, I, I think the people who became stars after the point where where we're selling video in some way, other than live video, I, I, which which I would say in the '50s, '60s, '70s, yes, we were selling, we were d- distributing, broadcasting live video, but by the '80s, we're selling VHS tapes. And you can relive all these moments. And, and, and people who came after that have become lasting, valuable. Items. Yeah, I mean, if you want to like make like an argument like for like the Gen, Gen Xers really, the Gen X generation really introduced the world to like modern pop culture um, and marketing and things like that, that really took celebrity status to a whole new level. And which is why I think like the early to mid 1990s in a lot of ways is like the peak of how big our culture how big an individual celebrity can become it's why michael jackson was so big it's why michael jordan was so big in a lot of ways is because that was the peak for our our consumerism in modern marketing strategies and multimedia efforts 
to peak before things started to really become um, more dispersed through the internet. And so more entertainment options Which I would come say up. Is, is less this is kind of the peak of our mono, uh, the peak of the peak of our monoculture, for lack of a better term, I think. Which I think is less in, in the case of movies and, and and TV, it's less of a hazard for those industries and those forms of media, those forms of art or business, because it's not an athletic endeavor. And wrestling, despite being a work, is an athletic endeavor. And you begin to 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 stress the suspension of disbelief. When when you're you're you know doing Goldberg versus the Undertaker at when they're in their fifties, for example, um, and and I think that can be especially a hazard for somebody who maybe doesn't doesn't really like what what who, you know modern talent generally and doesn't really believe in them as much, and is is m- you know more reliant on the people that you know who came before and who you may have better relationships with. I can't imagine who I'm thinking of right now, but, but someone, um, okay. Uh, I think this is the last question again from big time Baxter who says, will AEW key demo slip to 0.29, 0.29 when the NBA is back? Um, what's, what's it been doing lately just to, to set our, to set our base level here, the last somewhere week, think, between point three three and point three five. I think it did a point three three. Point three three it did last week. The week before that it did a point three four. The week before that it did a point three five. The week before that it did a point three nine. It's like a song. The week before that it did a point three eight. Um, I think it's interesting what the I, I think preemptions have played a part. I think the content has too, but the preemptions have played a part in the decline of, of Rampage. Uh, there's going to be at least one week of preemption for Dynamite, but at least that's not like four weeks of consecutive preemption like like Rampage had. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, they might do they might do a point two nine on October 18th. I think we will see point two nines. I mean, it's just as time goes on, I think there there is there is a headwind. There is a continuing strengthening headwind on linear TV viewership because the homes become lesser that have access to this and. To a degree, the competition in general becomes stronger. And I'm not just talking about other TV competition, but streaming competition, gaming competition. As Nick Khan once said, people are texting. But I think TikTok, is, as that continues to eat up more of people's time. Um, so, I, yeah, I think we will soon see eventually, unless there is some, some greater force that increases the popularity generally of AEW Dynamite, I think that we will eventually, within probably the, the next year I start to see AEW do point in, in the high point twenties, maybe on a regular basis. Okay. Uh, anything else to add here? No, I think Football's, that covers it. Football starting now. Um, okay. Uh, here's this, uh, hit the like button, share and subscribe. Uh, you want to plug anything? I don't know, just my normal Twitter at Jesse Collings, uh, YouTube at Gentlemen's Wrestling Podcast. That's uh, my podcast. We had interviewed Phil Strum from Under the Ring. Um, we talked a lot about wrestling media. We talked a lot about the media scrums. We talked about how WWE and AEW kind of their different approaches to media, something that we touched on earlier in this podcast. Um, so people can check that out over on YouTube. Um, I wrote an article on Antonio Inoki for Voices of Wrestling. It aired on Monday. People go to voicesofwrestling.com. They can check that out as well. Okay. And the Patreon. Oh, here's Gullo. Here's Gullo's stuff. Get, get his t-shirt and follow him on social media at Chris Gullo. Uh, 
The Patreon is patreon.com slash for just for $5 a month. You can get access to the TV ratings reports. You get access to the quarter hours when I report them, the Russell Knox viewership spreadsheet, the slides to this podcast, and more, and, and uh, other things I do on a regular basis. Um, we, uh, we're, we're hoping to do a, an interview this coming week. We will not say with whom. You will not recognize the name, but hopefully this will be an interesting interview that will shed some light on on uh, stories that are of interest to uh, to to people who are interested in wrestling generally. Um, that's it. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening, supporting, subscribing.